the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello and welcome to today's edition of Grace to Live with Pastor Keith Crosby, lead pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are delighted that you've chosen to spend time with us here on the broadcast today studying God's Word. And we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, we'll be continuing with our Decoding Jesus teaching series. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us again to the Gospel of John, Chapter 3. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study. I remember dealing with a family in a previous church. Their son made a profession of faith. They rushed him into baptism. And then after that, he just lived a life of just willful disobedience. And the father kept saying, well, you know, he's just going through a phase. Well, sin is not a phase. You know, sin is a condition. Eventually he went to prison. Eventually he denied the faith. And his postings on Facebook, uh, if they don't border on the obscene, are just basically obscene and blasphemous. So I want to say to you parents, you know, keep presenting the gospel to your children. We started our kids out, I mean, the moment they could understand. I was talking about Jesus. Terry was talking about Jesus. We were singing songs. We were saying things to them. We were trying to indoctrinate them and brainwash them toward the kingdom. You know, you labor like it depends on you, and you sleep like it depends on God. But, you know, at the same time, don't take it for granted. We must not be naive. People are filled, churches are filled with people. That's why Jesus, with people who are outwardly religious, but they have had no inward change. That's why Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, workers of lawlessness is not a happy job title, okay? But these people were outwardly religious, but they did not, they weren't characterized by obedience. I'm not talking about sinless perfection, but they weren't characterized. Apparently, they did stuff for God but there was something not right with them in their heart. When you're right with God, when you have put your faith in God, when your salvation is assured, you're different. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things are becoming new. If you're saved, if you're born again, it should show. And the person who is disinterested, disobedient, and largely unchanged is likely unsaved. That doesn't mean that seeds haven't been planted. It doesn't mean that seeds won't be watered. And it doesn't mean there won't be a harvest. But let's not be naive. Just praying a magical prayer or God talk doesn't make a Christian. It doesn't matter when they were baptized or how many times they were baptized. If they haven't put their faith, if they haven't surrendered their will, if they haven't given their heart to Jesus then their salvation is not assured. It's not just believing a set of facts. So be careful. 
Don't be naive. Let's not be naive about someone's alleged Christianity when their eternity is at stake. People can talk about God. People can believe the facts of the gospel and not embrace them. And they can still be lost. Don't underestimate the power of God to change a person. Understand that someone's faith, if it hasn't changed them, it may not have saved them. So let's not give somebody a false sense of security or take anybody's salvation for granted. So along these lines, I want to talk about fruit. Reality number three. Recognize that saving faith produces fruit. Saving faith produces fruit. Where do we see that in John 3.36? You see it. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. That's not the fruit. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. The implication is, you know a tree by the fruit it bears, right? When it comes to assurance of salvation, there is a connection between someone's salvation and their outward conduct. There is connective spiritual tissue, if you will. You know, I remember a a man in my congregation in Green Bay at the age of 62, he was Down syndrome. He put his faith in Christ. And he had the mind of about a 10-year-old. And I remember, and he had a ter- terrible speech impediment. We had like three or four interviews with him. And his, his brother-in-law could understand what he said. I was struggling. But by the end of the final interview, we, we got it. That he really had put his faith in Christ. And you know what? His life changed significantly after his profession of faith. And so we baptized him. We could see the Lord at work in his life. He didn't fuss with his brother-in-law when it was time to do the dishes. He didn't, he he stopped lying. uh, He would lie about anything and everything. He's he's not supposed to be taking candy because he's a child, you know, in his mind. His life changed. His life changed. You can't be a child of God and not characteristically seek the pleasure of your heavenly father. Jesus states this positively in this way. By this, and this is in John 15, 8. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove, and so demonstrate, and so indicate, and so prove to be my disciple. So you have to look at the big picture. The Christian life is a video, not a snapshot. And, and, and this cuts both ways. You can find a Christian on a bad day, and he's acting like a pagan, you know what I mean? But when you watch the whole movie, you can see how their life has changed. You can find uh, an unbeliever on a good day, and they may talk about God, and they may talk about this, and they may talk about that. But if their life is one of characteristic disinterest and apathy toward the things of God, then you know there's a problem, and you don't want to be foolish. James writes, faith without works is dead. Jesus says, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove, demonstrate, indicate, show that you are my disciple. So recognize that saving faith produces fruit. And the big picture is, you have to say, well, what is the pattern over time? You know, um, in my own life, just going back with my daughters, because I know we have parents out here, parents and grandparents, young parents. My little daughters, when I wanted to see them come to Christ, you know, and I remember with one of them, you know, I was saying this in the ABF, I said, now, do you want to trust Jesus? And she was kind of a little go-getter, and she goes, no. I like things just the way they are. And I was like, don't say that. You know, I wanted to wrap her in bubble wrap to keep her from getting struck by lightning and never let her go outdoors until she professed Christ, you know. But they both came to Christ. One came to Christ around 10 or 11, the other one around 9 or 10. And you know what? As a pastor, I didn't baptize them for about three years because I wanted to see if it was real. I didn't want to take it for granted because sometimes we take a child's faith for granted 
because we want them to be saved, and we assure them that they're saved, and we gospel inoculate them. We vaccinate them. We tell them they're saved. They believe they're saved. They're not saved. They live a life of characteristic apathy towards God. There's no works to indicate that they're, you know, that they're a Christian, and uh, we make things tough. People recognize a Christian by his or her conduct. People recognize those who claim to be one thing but are another by their conduct. And I want you to understand that if you put your faith in Christ, you are saved. I don't want you to be naive. I don't want you to be naive. I want you to understand that there is a, a connection between faith and works. And I want you to understand this too. Mental assent to a set of facts does not a Christian make, Okay. I've met people who believe that Jesus was the Son of God, God the Son, the Savior of the world, and that He is the only way, and they don't want it. They just don't want it. So they believe the facts. Does that make them a Christian? No. How do we know that? James 2.19. What does James 2.19 say? You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. See, believing the medicine will help you and refusing to take it doesn't do anything for you. Believing that you need surgery and never going under the surgeon's knife doesn't cure the problem. And believing a set of facts and not embracing them and not drinking them in. If I had a glass of water here, my throat's a little sore today. And I said, well, this glass of water will help my sore throat. I believe that. But if I don't drink it, it doesn't do any good. So you want to make sure, friends, that those children or grandchildren or that spouse or whoever has embraced the gospel. Now, having said all this, I want to come back to where we began, and we'll call this reality number four, okay? Reality number four is this. This is our final reality, is this. Find comfort that your salvation can be assured. See, I want to encourage you, and I want to challenge you. If you put your faith in Christ, your salvation is assured. Rejoice in that. If your son or daughter has put their salvation in Christ, rejoice in that. Just don't be naive. Don't pretend that there's something they're not. And you need to recognize that there is a place for works in their life. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we find comfort, not in our feelings, not in the opinions of others, but in the fact that it is possible to have assurance of salvation. And we see that again where in the first half of the verse. Whoever believes in the Son has life. Assurance is found in Christ and in trusting Him and in Him alone for your redemption rescue and salvation. And while we don't want to be naive, we don't want to also, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater. Because remember this, when somebody comes to Christ, depending on their age or infirmity, their youthfulness or their maturity, uh, depending on, on, on the arc of their spiritual growth and the progress that is made there, um, they may not mature as fast as someone else. You know, if you have, a, I used to have a, an orange tree. I had a navel orange tree in my backyard in Van Nuys, California. And I'd be back there mowing the lawn and doing stuff, and I'd reach out and pull one of those big, fat, juicy navel oranges down, peel it and eat it. It was great. And it had a growing season that was about nine months out of the year. So, I mean, we were just getting those oranges. And then at some point, they start falling on the ground and rotting, and you wish you didn't have the tree. Then you don't have the tree, and you wish you had the tree, but that's another story, okay? But the bottom line is this. You have this tree, and you have all, these, all this fruit on it, but the fruit ripens at different rates of speed based on where it is on the tree. So, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. And after that begins a process of spiritual growth. The technical term, theological term, is sanctification. It's a process, not an event. And that fruit is going to grow at different rates of speed depending on how much light it's exposed to. 
which is why mentoring and discipleship is so important, which is why teaching and preaching is so important. So you may have somebody who comes to Christ, and they're at the beginning of their spiritual life, and they're really not tracking as much, and they're really not comprehending as much because they're at the beginning, and and they may be rough around the edges. And then you may have somebody who, man, he's he or she is in church on Sunday, they're a part of a growth group, they're a part of an ABF, they have a, they're studying the Bible on their own, they're listening to podcasts, they're reading everything they can about the Word of God and about the God of that Word, and you see them grow. Both of them have assurance of salvation, and that's the good news. I'm reminded that the Apostle Paul says this, For I am sure that neither life nor death nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor heights nor depth nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. In John, in 1 John 5, 11, 12, and 13, we read this. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you may be assured that you have eternal life. God wants you to be confident, assured of your salvation. He wants you to be comforted in the fact that you belong to Him. He wants you to know that nothing, nobody, no how, can take it away. It wasn't yours to give. It's not yours to give away. Nothing ever created, nothing visible or invisible, demonic, angelic, or otherwise, can separate you from the love of God if you put your faith in Him. Jesus says in John 10, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. God wants you to be assured. He wants you to be comforted. He wants you to rejoice. And he wants you to know that your salvation is assured. If you put your trust in Christ... You're in his hand, and nobody is going to pry those fingers off. No way. No way. Romans 11.29 reminds us, For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. I want you to think about that. So trust God and his promises, not your feelings. Believe the facts, not your emotions. Be careful. Do not underestimate the power of God to save. Be careful. Don't be naive. Be careful. Recognize that works play a role. And be careful to, be, to know and to be comforted that you can trust in your assurance of salvation because you have trusted in the Savior of the world, the God of the universe, and nothing and no one can take you away from him. And that is the message of Jesus. That is John 3.36. That is what the Bible teaches about the message of Jesus in a sentence. Whoever ha- believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Do you have eternal life? If you put your faith in Christ, you do, and you need to be assured of that. So what do we do with this? How do we apply this? Let me give you four suggestions for application. One, rejoice that assurance is a fact and not a feeling. The sermon is the application. Rejoice that salvation is a fact and not a feeling. Take your joy and your comfort and your contentment from that. Two, understand that some are naive about salvation and don't take anything for granted. Don't be careless. You know, if you or someone you know has professed Christ or prayed a prayer and has wandered away from the faith for a protracted period of time, they probably don't know the Lord. 
And three, I guess, when all is said and done, be comforted. And I want to give you a fourth one that's not in the notes here. In your bulletins is a handout. And it's got the same title as the sermon. I've adapted it from a theological work that I think has summarized uh, indications of genuine saving faith. And I just leave it there for your investigation and for your consideration. What are the indications of true, genuine, saving faith? This is a good summary that's there in your bulletins. And I, I would ask you just to look at it. Take some time. This is Communion Sunday. And Communion Sunday is typically the time that we reflect on our relationship with God. And if we have Christ, we have eternal life. And if we don't have Christ, we don't. If we have Christ, we are new creations. We've been changed from the inside out. If we don't have Christ, we live a life of disinterest in the things of God and apathy toward the things of God. It doesn't mean you can't go through a season of, of uh, staleness or dryness, but that season isn't going to go for five or ten years. That's just not the case. There's no example of that really in the scriptures, and, and, and so we don't want to be naive. So let me just talk to you a little bit before we move into communion. I'd like the ushers to get ready for that. Have you placed your faith in Christ? Yes or no? If you've put your trust in Christ, you're assured of your salvation. Does your life testify to or indicate a love relationship with God? If you are pulled into court tomorrow and charged with being a Christian, and that's not so unrealistic these days, and they tried to call witnesses against you to prove that you were a Christian, could they make a case? That's what John 3.36 is all about. So I just want you to reflect on that. If you don't know Christ, you can. You can surrender your will to him. You can ask Jesus to come into your heart. You can say, you know, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died for my sin. I know you rose from the dead after being crucified. And I know that I know that you are the only means of taking me from death into life. Save me. Take me where you'll take me. Do to me what you want to do with me. Just make me your child. Then you can have assurance of salvation. I don't want you to leave here today without that. So I would just ask you to consider that. Now, we're going to partake in the Lord's table now. And the Lord's table is what we call communion. Uh, It's a time of reflecting on the Word of God. The bread represents the body of Christ which was broken for our sin. The cup represents his blood that was shed for us. The Bible tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Jesus died for our sin and his blood has washed it away as we have surrendered ourselves to him. The ushers are going to come forward now and pass out the bread. Please hold the bread so we can take the bread together. All right? And then I'll come back up and we'll take the bread. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for what you have done. You've sent your son, your one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life, and that's a fact. And through Jesus, we can know that we belong to you. We can be assured of our salvation. No matter how we feel on a given day, our emotions change like the tides or like the weather, Father. The fact is, if we have put our trust in, we are sin. We thank you for that. We thank you, Jesus, for taking our sin on you, for taking the penalty of our sin on you and erasing our sin debt. We pray these. Next, we partake of the cup together. The men are going to pass the cup out right now. And as they do that, I want you to hold it because that cup represents the shedding of Christ's blood. It is a symbol of the death of Christ. When we partake of the Lord's table, it's a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's a demonstration of the gospel. And Jesus' shed blood has taken away our sin, has washed away our sin. He has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. So take that, take that cup, think about your relationship with God, talk to him, and when you're ready, partake. There's a wonderful verse in the scriptures that said, 
that God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our account, that we might become the righteousness of God. And in that verse, we find our assurance of salvation, that if we become a child of God through Jesus Christ, we've been made righteous in the sight of God forever and all. And uh, that's just something to rejoice in. I'm going to ask the uh, prayer partners to come forward. I'm going to ask you all to stand. And if the prayer partners would come forward and just stand across here. Uh, I don't know where you stand in eternity right now. Uh, I don't know what your struggles necessarily are on an individual basis, but everybody needs to talk to somebody sometime, and everybody needs prayer sometimes. Sometimes we just need somebody to pray with us, and these folks are here to pray with you. Just tell them your name and your need, and they will pray for you. And uh, you may have heard the sermon, and you may be wondering where you stand in terms of eternity. And let me just encourage you, if you don't know Christ or you are doubtful and you need reassurance or you need to be reminded of what the gospel is or shown the way to God, they're here for that too. So I just want to encourage you with that. This is a glorious day. This is the Lord's Day, a day that we gather together as a church family and celebrate Jesus. And uh, I just want it to be the best day it can be for you. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you for this day, this day that you've made, a day that we can rejoice and be glad in. We thank you, Lord, that we can be assured of our salvation, that assurance is a fact and not a feeling, and while we shouldn't be naive, because there is a connection between works and living faith, Father, we should still be comforted in the fact that if we have placed our faith in Christ, that we are his, and nothing can separate us from the love of God. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.